0: Hello and welcome from Good Shepherd Church of Camaria. We're so glad you're with us. Here's today's message. Well, I don't know if you know, this is a very special day today. This is, uh, as you probably guessed from uh, the worship team playing a mighty fortress. Today is Reformation Sunday. And there's actually a few things that come together today. Uh, Reformation Sunday itself actually occurs always on October 31st. And of course, we celebrate it by having kids dress up as uh, uh, Bible characters and go to uh, uh, houses and share Bible verses and uh, well, maybe not. Maybe not. Um, Maybe that would be maybe a good idea. Um, No, we we really, we gather around a large table um, with our friends and family kind of uh, have some festive things, a lot of pumpkins maybe, uh, some big, big uh, domestic bird uh, that's been well cooked. And uh, we just share, you know, things about, uh, you know, what God's done in our life, maybe some testimony. Well, okay, well, we don't celebrate exactly like that. when it gets cool, cold at night, we kind of bundle up, we drink some hot cider, some hot chocolate, and we go to local, uh, you know, places in the neighborhood, knock on doors, and then we uh, sing Reformation hymns. And, no, we, we don't really do any of those, do we? It's kind of funny, we have this very special holiday, but we, we don't really celebrate it as we do maybe other holidays. Um, yeah, so Reformation Day always happens on the 31st, and it, this year it actually aligns with Reformation Sunday. So re, usually Reformation Sunday is like the Sunday that happens either on or before the 31st. And of course the day after is All Saints Day. So the night before is All Hallows' Eve, and it kind of shifted into something else. So we're going to kind of talk about that right now. Um, The Reformation Sunday, very special day. Problems of the church were challenged. Many tenets of the faith were reestablished, such as salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. So let's take just a brief tour of the history of Reformation. Uh, You probably know this very well. On October 31st, 1517, an obscure monk named Martin Luther desiring to spark theological discussion over the medieval practice of selling indulgences, which were letters of pardon, which guaranteed forgiveness of sins. Uh, Luther saw this as a perversion of the gospel and nailed his 95 theses on the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. This happened 504 years ago today, today. The spark that he set off ignited a flame that spread across Europe and became known as the Protestant Reformation. By challenging the church's authority and its doctrine, Luther reclaimed for Christianity the central doctrine of salvation, justification by faith alone. R.C. Sproul writes a, a, a short article about this. He says, one hammer in the hand of an obscure Augustinian monk changed the world forever. Martin Luther posted his 95 theses on the church door in Wittenberg, Germany calling his fellow professors to examine the issues of supreme theological importance. Thus began the reformation through which the light of God's word was brought out of darkness to shine with clarity once more. One of the central cries of the Protestant Reformation was this, the just shall live by faith. Luther's development of the doctrine of justification by faith alone recovered the gospel that had been hidden during the Middle Ages. And at the center of that gospel is the affirmation that righteousness by which we are declared just before a holy God is not our own. It's a foreign righteousness, an alien righteousness, A righteousness that Luther said is extra-nos, apart from us. Namely, that it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and that righteousness is imputed or counted for all who put their faith, their trust in him. Because of that affirmation, Luther was involved in serious controversies, controversies that culminated in his being brought to trial. Uh, Before the princes of the church and even before the Emperor of the Holy Roman Empire Charles V and there at the Diet of Worms summoned in Germany Luther was called upon to recant his views and he answered by saying Revoco do you want me to say revoco? (laughs) That means recant Uh, I will not recant unless I'm convinced by sacred scripture or by evident reason I cannot recant, for my conscience is held captive by the word of God, and to act against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I could do no other. God help me. In every generation, the gospel must be published anew with the same boldness and the same clarity and the same urgency that came forth in the 16th century reformation. The church has always done this in both the spoken word and in song, producing hymns that tell us of the great salvation that has been wrought by God alone, through Christ alone. We began with a mighty fortress. As you might know, that was written by Martin Luther, and it is probably the most famous hymn of the Reformation. As we just read, one of the central cries of the Protestant Reformation was this, the just shall live by faith. And as we look into God's word this morning, I thought it'd be appropriate to look at the chapters from Hebrews 11. This chapter is always referred to as the roll call of the faithful. We're gonna look at three themes from this chapter. Those themes are what does faith look like lived out? What does faith look like under persecution? And what is faith's reward? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Your word is truth, everlasting truth. May the words of our mouth, the meditations of our heart be pleasing and acceptable to you, Lord. Speak to us through your word. Teach us the things you'd have us to know and the things you'd have us to do, amen. Well, the Bible often uses word pictures to help us understand God's ways and his truths. I'm a visual learner and this really speaks to me. And this morning as we look at these three aspects of faith, I like to think of the word picture that the Apostle Paul uses to describe the faith journey of believers as he writes to the churches in Galatia and in Corinth. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul writes, you're running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth in Galatians 5:7. In his first letter to the Corinthians, he urges believers, to run in such a way that to get the prize. He reminds us that everyone who competes in games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. He adds, therefore I do not run like a man running aimlessly in 1 Corinthians 9:24 and 25. So as we look to Hebrews 11, I'm gonna ask you to run along with me. As we look at some great runners of the faith, we're gonna talk about the runners who ran well. We're gonna talk about the runners who ran hard and the runners who ran for a crown. Since we're gonna be talking all about faith, it's only right to start with a good definition of faith. Now, the very first verse of Hebrews chapter 11 gives us this definition. And I don't have slides for all of this, so if you guys would like to Use your uh, pew Bibles. They might be a little different than what I'm reading because I'll be coming out of the NIV. Um, yeah. So Hebrews 11, one says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The, uh, the Greek word used most often in the New Testament for faith is pistis. It is the belief... or conviction with the complementary idea of trust. So belief and trust are united. Faith is not a mere intellectual stance, but a belief that leads to action. As James 2.26 says, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. James talks about demonstrating his faith by his works. Often what we do says more about what we believe than what we say. And the Bible has much more to say about faith, what it is, where it comes from, and its importance. So just why is faith so important? One commentary puts it this way. God designed a way to distinguish between those who belong to him and those who don't and it is called faith. Very simply, we need faith to please God. God tells us that it pleases him that we believe in him, even though we cannot see him. Verse six of this chapter tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek after him. So part of this verse also tells us he rewards those who earnestly seek after him. It's not to say that we have faith in God to get something from him. However, God loves to bless those who are obedient and faithful. And certainly, that has been my prayer. As I've gone through the Christian life, it's, Lord, let me see your hand at work in my life and in the circumstances around me that I might give you all the praise, all the honor, all the glory. And maybe that's your testimony too, that you could look around your life, around your circumstances, and see God's hand uh, just directing things. Uh, So often, so often my prayer is that so that I don't miss it. I don't wanna miss that. And uh, one thing about being older, <laughs> as you get older, you have much more history to look back on, don't you? And you can see God, God's hand just in your life every step of the way. Sometimes when we're, when we're in the midst of it, we're too close to it. We can't see it. And sometimes we have to step back to see it. Sometimes I remember looking at a tapestry once or coming up there was a hanging tapestry I remember coming up to it and looking i thinking this is a mess. <laughs> what is up with this tapestry? Yeah, there were threads all over it was I wasn't sure what I was looking at. Uh, it just I thought is is this supposed to be a, a, a work of art? Then I realized I'm looking at the back side of the tapestry walk around the front, Greg, and then it all came into, what, what a beautiful work. Some, sometimes I think that's what we're going through now. Have you ever thought of that? Have you ever thought, you know what, sometimes we see all the problems of this world, we see uh, a lot of things that are confusing, a lot of things I sure don't understand. And I wonder, you know, God is looking at the other side of the tapestry. God's seeing this beautiful work that he's designed. It sure doesn't look that way to me sometimes. But God's got a a plan. I just have to remember that, you know. I just think it would be so cool that, wouldn't it be cool if in heaven we could see that other side of the tapestry and look back on our life and go, that was what it was all about. I don't know if that's what's going to happen, but uh, it'd sure be cool. It'd sure be just like God, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, so how do we acquire faith? The Bible tells us that it's not something we could achieve by our hard work or through diligent study or by something we can somehow attain by our own power. Ephesians 2.8, of course, makes that very clear. Uh, it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It makes us clear that our faith is a gift of God given to us by grace, according to his plan, according to his purpose. We're not saved by good works, but God has saved us to do good works. Because of that, in all these acts of faith that were recorded, it's God who gets the glory. For me, and maybe for you too, the best way to understand a concept is to see it put into action. That may be very well the case that the uh, the writer of Hebrews had in mind when he highlights the faithful people from Abel through the patriarchs to the time of the judges. It's an interesting way that these heroes of the faith are listed in the text. Generally, the writer begins each entry with the phrase, by faith to point out one attribute that each person possessed that gave them the power to accomplish such great feats. Then then he names the person and then he speaks about how faith was evidenced in that person's life by the actions that he took. We just finished a Bible study in the book of James and it reminds me very much of this where James talks about this that our faith is evidenced in action. I'm always reminded of this, uh, this comic. I don't know if one of your favorite comics, but one of mine was Calvin and Hobbes. I don't know if you enjoyed that. I always did. It's not published in the uh, papers anymore. You have to get the books to read it. Um, Sam Waterton uh, wrote this great comic about a six-year-old boy it's actually, I think, a 30-year-old trapped in the body of a six-year-old boy <laughs> from the things that he talks about in his interactions with his tiger, Hobbes. And one time he asks Hobbes, he says, Hobbes, he says, uh, do you think that, we, you, know, you gotta know Calvin, he's a six-year-old boy, and he gets into trouble a lot. He says, do you think that we should be judged by our actions, or by what's in our heart? And then Hobbes replies, well, I think our actions show what's in our heart. Calvin thinks for a minute and says, I resent that! <laughs> uh, well, let's look at this as we get into the text today. Um, James it also talks about that. Is It says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith, but he has no deeds? And a few, a few verses later, he writes, Faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. So we're going to look at a few of the heroes of the faith who ran the race well. So looking at uh, verse 7, if you're following along with me, in Hebrews 11, verse 7, Noah, by faith Noah, When warned about the things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. A theme that will be emphasized in this chapter is that faith is evidenced in obedience and action. Genesis 6 describes Noah as a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And he walked with God. A quality of Noah that is repeatedly mentioned. Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Then, Abraham in in verse 8 By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. In these passages, we again see that faith is evidenced by obedience and action. Moving on to 11, and by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, meaning Abraham, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Then moving on to verse 17, and by faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Amazing that Abraham's had such faith, isn't it? He's the father of the faithful. As you are a believer, you're a child of Abraham. We remember that that children's song, I must, you know, child of Abraham. Amazing that Abraham said, it's such faith in God that he was willing to obey God even to the point of sacrificing his only son, the one that God had promised would bring offspring as numerous, what, as the stars in the sky and sand on the seashore. He trusted God, and he knew God well enough, knew the power of God that he reasoned that God could raise Isaac from the dead, even though no one had been raised from the dead at that time. He couldn't look back and say, oh, yeah, we've seen God do this before. And then Moses, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Interesting that he talks about that, isn't it? For the sake of Christ, Moses. Christ hadn't quite been born yet, but Moses knew enough about God and knew about his promises. Moses was an Israelite born while his parents were slaves in Egypt. Through divine providence, Pharaoh's daughter raised him as her own child. Moses enjoyed the privileges of living in Pharaoh's court. But rather than live in privilege, he chose to identify with his own people who were in slavery. Acts seven tells us that Moses was 40 years old when he saw an Egyptian beating uh, uh, one of Moses' fellow Israelites. And Moses came to the man's defense, killing the Egyptian. Moses thought his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The NIV commentary states that although Moses' understanding of the details of the messianic hope was extremely limited, He chose to be associated with the people through whom that hope was to be realized. And then the Israelites are also noted for their faith. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. And by faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days their faith was evidenced by their obedience. Can you imagine, have you ever thought of that, what it would have been like to walk through the Red Sea? It said it was piled up as a heap. I can only imagine what that heap would have looked like. How high would that have been as you're walking through on dry land with this mountain of water there? It's gotta take some faith to walk through that. And then remember the walls of Jericho fell after they marched around it and blew their horns. We know the Israelites as God's chosen people, but we know they often went their own way, don't we, in their faith journey. In these verses, they're commended for the times that they were faithful in obedience to God. And then Rahab, interesting that they would that Rahab would make it to the roll call of the, those of, uh, of, of the faithful. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. After being delivered from slavery in Egypt and after wandering the, in the desert for 40 years, the Israelites had finally reached the Promised Land. An entry into the point into the Promised Land was Jericho. Joshua, the leader of Israel, sent spies into Jericho to assess the strengths and the defenses of the enemy. Rahab was a prostitute in Jericho who hid the spies from her people, the Canaanites, and declared her allegiance to the Lord. So he goes on in verse 32 and says that, well, there are other examples of faith, too. He says, what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak, Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. So interesting that The men that are listed are not only men of faith, but these are heroic men of military conquest. Gideon, the first one listed, was really a celebrated hero. Barak, Samson, and Jephthah represented the period of the judges, and then David and Samuel represented the period of the kings and the prophets. So they ran well, and then they ran hard. Verse 35. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced cheers and floggings, even chains and imprisonments. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed too. they were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. 1 Kings 17.22 tells us about how the prophet Elijah restored to life the son of a widow at Zarephath. 2 Kings 4.36 tells us how Elisha brought the son of a Shumanite woman back to life. The better resurrection that's spoken of here is the resurrection to eternal life rather than restoration to life in this world. Though there's there's no record of it in the Bible, tradition holds that King Manasseh had the prophet Isaiah put to death by sawing in two. And so they ran well, they ran hard, and then they ran for a crown. In verses 39 and 40, at the end of this chapter, says, these, these that have gone before, they were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. In 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, Paul writes, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, and I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. We're all running that race, aren't we? We're all running the race of faith, knowing that by faith we will receive that same promise. We will be in heaven with God for all eternity, The first few verses of chapter 12 encourage those who are running the grace, the verses that Jared read earlier. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition for sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Well, in conclusion, as we look at this list of the heroes of the faith, it can be overwhelming. But what's encouraging to me is that all these people that are listed as heroes of the faith, they had flaws, just like you, just like me. Some stumbled at the beginning of their faith journey. Some stumbled along the way. Yet all these heroes were commended for their incredible acts of faith. And through all their failures, they kept running the race. They did not give up on God because God did not give up on them. I don't know where this message finds you today on your faith journey. Maybe you haven't begun the race yet. You haven't started because you think you're not qualified to even start. You feel that you've made so many mistakes that God couldn't love you or want you to be his child. Nothing could be further from the truth. God loved Moses, who murdered the Egyptian. Yet God used him greatly to deliver his people from slavery. And God loved Rahab the prostitute, who used used her to bring his people into the Promised Land. And God loves you so much that he gave his one and only son that you would have eternal life with him. But you have to start the race. God wants you to run the race of faith and finish well, but you can't start and, or you can't finish a race that you haven't begun. Is it possible that right now you're running, but you're running your own way? God's calling you to stop, to surrender your priorities, your agenda and your will, and start running with him. Or maybe you started your faith journey years ago But along the way, you've stumbled so many times, you're not even sure you're still running. Your race feels more like a walk or sometimes even a crawl. You keep falling back into sinful habits, and you feel that you are just a disappointment to God and can no longer be used by Him. Nothing could be further from the truth. All those listed heroes stumbled in their faith journey, yet they're commended for their faith, because they never gave up. Scripture tells us that God is the same yesterday and today and forever. God didn't give up on them and he won't give up on you or me. In conclusion, just wanna leave you with three thoughts about running the race of faith. You can't finish a race that you haven't started. If you haven't started, Please start now. It doesn't matter where you've been. What matters is where you're going. Stay the course. When you stumble, get up. Keep running. Finish the race. Receive the crown. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for these great witnesses that you have given to us, these great testifiers of the faith. Lord, help us to be as faithful to you as they were. Help us to run the race well, to finish the course and to receive that crown.